Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, I'm super happy to be here, super happy to be given this opportunity. Um, I don't take it lightly, and honestly, it's because I love you guys. Thank you so much. I believe fully in the power of the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. I believe he's doing it every time we wake up. I believe there's opportunities for us to partner with him in how he's working and how he's moving. But the power of the Holy Spirit is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And what is happening within each and every one of us, especially when we walk in and we interact with the body of Christ, is that we are being transformed continually, continually, and continually. So the heart of this message is about the continuous working power of the Holy Spirit in us and how we can actually connect with that and how often we find we don't connect with that. How often we look at our lives as ordinary and then sometimes spiritual rather than looking at our lives as inherently spiritual. And the more that we can actually look at our lives as inherently spiritual, the more we'll actually see God moving. God hasn't stopped moving. It's been what? How many years since the world's been created? How many years since Jesus came back? How many years since the, the foundation of the church? He has been busy moving and moving and moving and moving. And here's the thing. Our life it means a lot more when we can actually focus on that, when we can see that, and we can walk through that. Amen? So that's the heart of today's message. So I want to start today with a short poem, which I do, because I like poetry, and I think poetry is beautiful. I think poetry has a way of connecting our natural lives with the Spirit. I think there's such an awesome nature in what God has created in the midst of poetry. And this is one actually my favorite poets, G.K. Chesterton. And it really is going to encapsulate the whole of what I'm preaching about today. He says this, because children have abounding vitality, because they are spirit, their spirit and fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be um, automatic necessity that he makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. That encapsulates the heart of what we're talking about today because there's the nature when we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit and Pastor Sam's been on this equipped message and, and I hope you guys have been blessed and felt blessed by, by really digging into what the spiritual gifts are, what the Spirit says about the gifts, what the Word says about the gifts, how we can walk in the gifts, how we can grow. But as he was talking and I was sitting in my seat and I have this thing when I hear messages, I just, I start talking to the person next to me and I'll be like, like my mind just goes like crazy, like thinking about all these different things, thinking about like how the church has always looked at things, what but this pastor said, what this philosopher said, and I just kind of spew it out and for whoever is lucky enough to sit next to me. I was sitting there and I just couldn't help but think about the, the state of the church and how often when we think of the gifts, there are often two camps. And when we think about the spiritual gifts, we think about prophecy, healing, deliverance. We think of casting out demons. We think of raising people from the dead. We think of all the things scripture talks that the apostles did and the believers did and what we're encouraged to do. Oftentimes, how we live our lives in 2023 is we're these ordinary people, humans, and sometimes 
something crazy happens. And we go to church, and when we learn about these things, we're like, okay, I'm doing the best I can. I believe there's a God. I believe in all these different elements. I read my Bible. And then sometimes something supernatural happens. And when you look through church history, when you look through the Bible, when you study and connect with God, and when you actually take seriously what Christianity professes, you can see that this is so far from the truth that we really need to take the journey back to what the Word says and to what the Spirit is doing in the church. We are not ordinary people sometimes experiencing something extraordinary. You were actually created to be physical and spiritual. And the reality of that is, especially when we look in Genesis and the creation of Adam, God took dirt, physical, and he breathed his spirit into it. We're not just humans with a spirit. We are the strange connection of humanity and spirituality. And when we try to either divorce the two, or we see ourselves becoming maybe over-obsessed with one or the other, right? Being really obsessed with the spiritual and neglecting the physical. We are missing the fullness, not only of the gospel, but the fullness of what humanity was created for. We know that we were disconnected and we became spiritually dead through the fall and through sin. But through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we become alive again. So what we need to see is that the church, in discussing the gifts, in discussing the proper use of the gifts, we need to see that, this, that the gifts of the Spirit are not just something that happens, but actually the conclusion, the logical conclusion of living a life that is alive spiritually. That when we understand the things we do in Christianity are not just symbols, they're not just rituals sometimes, they're not just metaphor, but they're real and there's an active spiritual world, we are going to walk in this gifts way quicker and way easier. Amen? Amen. Also by G.K. Chesterton, a quick little thing he said, there are two ways of getting home. One of them is to stay there and the other is to walk around the whole world till we come back to the same place. And today, home, where we belong, is authentic, historical, spiritually alive Christianity. We're coming back home. But what we need to do is, and I don't know if anyone's been on a trip recently. I know Pastor Sam and uh, Jamie will probably feel this, but I went to Ireland recently, and I had an amazing time. Beautiful. I love Ireland. It's gorgeous. There's a lot of old parts to it that are amazing. Castles. The, the, the landscape looks like it was out of, color, out of a coloring book. The greens, you can't even believe. The cliffs are so big, you can't even believe it. And I had a great time. And I came back home, and when I wa- came back home, I recognized something that the familiarity of my house, the familiarity of the people in my life, the familiarity of this church had a new like vision to it. It was almost like it was changed. Nothing had really changed, but there was this familiar, this foreign familiarity that I'm like, I've been to this place before, but something looks different. And this is what happens sometimes. And so when I say the word familiarity, what's the phrase you think of? Was it? Some people say family. Any other phrase? There's a very famous phrase. Familiarity breeds contempt. That cannot be more like further from the truth. It can't be. If familiarity means that we grow in knowledge, we grow in, in discovery, we get used to something, which means we actually have to know it, 
it cannot breed contempt. What breeds contempt is taking for granted the things that we are supposed to appreciate and grow deeper and deeper. I want you to think of a marriage. Would anyone say that in growing in knowledge of the other person you're married to, you grow in contempt? I would hope not. Otherwise, we might need some counseling. The nature is, in a marriage, you grow deeper and deeper and deeper in knowledge and knowing a person. What that's supposed to do is breed intimacy. Familiarity, getting closer and growing in knowledge and growing in experience of discovery is supposed to breed excitement. It's supposed to breed passion. It's supposed to breed this knowledge and understanding that, oh my gosh, I'm a part of something amazing. We need to grow in familiarity with what Christianity is. We need to grow in familiarity with what the Spirit is doing in Christians and continue to grow. And if we've gotten to a place of contempt because we have not appreciated it for what it really is, we should take that nice long walk, look at it from a big view, and then come right back in. So that's kind of the hope we're going to do today. So there are two groups generally when it comes to the, the spiritual gifts. There's one group that has a little more hesitancy. They're like, I don't, I don't know about all that. Like, I, I get reading the Bible, I get morality, I get these things, but I haven't really seen the spiritual gifts operate in a way that makes sense, right? I, I, it's, if you ever heard of John MacArthur, John MacArthur preaches, and he's kind of like the head of modern-day cessationism, which Pastor Sam explained to be the belief that the, the gifts of the Spirit have faded with the apostles, and we don't really work with them. God may still do miracles, but he doesn't use humanity. He would go so far as to say, you know, tongues is of the devil. Any movement is, is that, like, he sees is kind of demonic. So that's one section, right? It's a reaction to maybe how the gifts have been used. It's a reaction to not really understanding supernatural or spirituality. And then we go to the other side, which is not necessarily a healthy appreciation, but kind of an obsession, and we see that kind of in the, in, the, in the charismatic movement of today where thanks to the advent of social media, right, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and this is not everybody, but all of a sudden voices have risen. You can hear anyone and any opinion you want at any moment. And some of them are really good. Some of them are really good. The gospel has been preached using social media and the internet so many more times than you could imagine which we should all give thanks to God. Confusion has also been preached a lot more than we would hope. And I believe fully that in talking about the gifts, the charismatic church, the charismatic movement is, it's, that exists kind of in America mostly, needs a bit of reform. There needs to be a bringing back to this thing called the Word and being formed in the Word and being formed in what the Word says and walking out how the church has walked out the gifts. So there's a, one sense, there's a, we don't want anything to do with the supernatural. In the other sense, we only want to do with what we think is the supernatural. And both of which are not in line with the normal Christian life, which is human and physical and spiritual and supernatural somehow mashed into one. Now, both, we get to both these places kind of from the same viewpoint and kind of from the same uh, maybe lack of understanding. And truly what I want to show us today is the supernatural power of the Christian 
exists as soon as you wake up. And actually, even when you're asleep. That the supernatural spiritual existence of the Christian is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit, believe it or not, is working in you right now. Can Let's, let's just stop and think about that. Sometimes we, kind of just, we can go over things and just be like, oh, that's cool. No. In reality, the supernatural, and the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit is working in you to transform you into someone like Jesus right now. If everyone could look to the right of them real quick and look to the left and take a second. Holy Spirit's moving in the person next to you. Holy Spirit's moving in the person to your right, to your left, behind you, in front of you. Holy Spirit is moving. How could we in any moment think for a second that we are not spiritual? That alone blows our mind. Let's go to Philippians, right? So let's Philippians 1, 6. Sounds screen. For I am sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. You are on a process of perfection. Something is happening in you. Something is happening in this building. You are on a journey. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. What do we see here? Something's happening inside of you, and you've been invited to partner with what's happening inside of you. Because the desire is God's, and the effort is God's. So Holy Spirit is moving in you, in your salvation and in your sanctification, consistently. Consistently. How often do we think about that? How often do we walk in awe, in fear, in the good fear, in trembling, in reverence, in honor of the very fact that the Holy Spirit is moving in you? Do we think about that? I know I haven't all the time. I know I've taken that for granted. And when we take things for granted, we either discount them altogether or we look for things in order to appreciate. That's why there is a lot of newness today in the church that hasn't existed for the full of 2,000 years. There's a lot of new revelations you hear. People getting new revelations on Scripture, getting new things that I'm like, I haven't heard any church father ever talk about this. I haven't heard any really like doctrine on this. It's, it's new. It's brand new. It's like, let's, let's get new. An obsession with the new often can be a result that we don't appreciate what's actually happening in us and what's actually found, has been founded, one, since the foundation of the earth, but since the bringing of the Holy Spirit. There's also another reason, and um, I created this little nifty little graph. Not only do we sometimes have um, we grow in disdain because we don't fully understand and we haven't fully grown in knowledge of what Christianity preaches and what it professes. But we also have a society that is so profoundly anti-supernatural, it's not even funny. Over the last 500 years, we have experienced so much turmoil and so many people have taken a bat to God, to religion, to everything that has to do with anything but our flesh and our blood. We've decided that we're only human, us being society, and that everything else is just either wishful thinking 
or some kind of meditative practice you get to or, or the result of drugs that you take, some kind of naturalist, supernatural, weird, but, oh, there's no God. We don't believe in a God. And unfortunately, what the church has done, the church should be the forerunner of everything when it comes to the supernatural. We should, society should look to the church to understand what spirituality means. And all humans desire spirituality. Make no mistake. All human beings desire to worship something. That's baked into our very bones. So what the church should do is not take notes from society, but actually lead society in terms of supernatural and the supernatural. But the last 500 years has been a little hard. It's been a little difficult. There's been a lot of challenges. And I created this graph, a quick timeline that I just want to walk us through because I believe in knowing history, you're actually able to make a better understanding of the present. That we are all product, society is all product of the history. And if we don't know the history, we can't really address the problems. We can't see where we're at. So I just want to quickly go through where we're at right here. If we can pull that on the screen, that would be fantastic. I'm going to go through the last 500 years in hopefully a minute, two minutes. Here we go. 500. So this has been, I'm going to label this the birth of the concept of anti-supernaturalism, which means the, the beginning of people thinking there really is no such thing as the spirit. There really is no such thing as the supernatural. Do you know it's not normal to think you're just physical? If you take the entirety of human existence, it's only been very recently that people decided we weren't supernatural. It's actually weird in terms of history to think that we're not spiritual. But we think, oh, it's super normal, super normal just to be without God, without any of these things. We've been sold a lie by, by modern thinking. Okay, so 1517, the Reformation. Everyone knows the Protestant Reformation. The Catholic Church had run a great amount of time of Christianity, a large amount of Christianity. And everything was run through the Catholic Church in the known world. Whether it's politics, whether it's uh, commerce, whether it's science, they ran the gamut. You walked through them. The Reformation, which, if you ask any historian, whether they be Protestant or Catholic or secular, will have mixed feelings about the Reformation. Some will be like, it's all good. Some will be like, it's all bad. Some will be like, there's stuff that happened that was good and that was bad. What the Reformation did is broke the hold that the church had on society and fractured it. And if you see what happens, whether you have countries that are a little more not stable, that when there's a centralized power and someone takes a bat to it, now all of a sudden people see the weakness and they're like, man, this is a perfect opportunity to strike. And so what you see happens as a result of the fracturing of church authority, we have the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment is this movement in Europe that praised human reason and totally decided that supernaturalism didn't make any sense. We have people like Rene Descartes who says, cogito ergo sum, which means I think, therefore I am. That very thought has caused so many issues in humanity. The thought that we as humans would be like, my thoughts are the only thing I can trust, and that's how I know I exist, is because of my thoughts. Dear Lord, I can't think of anything worse for humanity to trust entirely in our thoughts. We have the Enlightenment, right? So we have guys like Immanuel Kant, Voltaire, Rousseau, 
um, David Hume, Spinoza, and a long list of philosophers who all took turns dissecting humanity, showing that we're only rational, we're only terrestrial, we're only physical. The only thing that exists is us, and everything else is just, you know, we can get rid of. This guy, Immanuel Kant, who's considered the greatest of the Enlightenment philosophers, decided that there's two rooms to the universe. There's our room where we exist, and somewhere up there in some other room, that's where God is. And he's like, we can't actually know what happens up there. We can't actually know that. We think there's a God, but we can't actually know it. And then later, this guy, David Hume, which most atheistic, like Robbie Dawkins, and not Robbie Dawkins, um, what's his name? Well, I forgot, sorry. Something Dawkins. Robbie Dawkins is actually an evangelist who's a really good evangelist. Other, um, a, yeah, exactly. Um, atheistic scientists, right, use David Hume, because David Hume essentially was like, well, if we can't know what happens in this other place, well, who says it exists? So he totally gets rid of that idea. And his arguments against Christianity and against God are still used today. We keep going. The French Revolution utilized these same beliefs. One of the most bloody, anti-religious, anti-God movements that ever occurred. We go to Karl Marx is born and Charles Darwin are born. Communism, which is inherently an anti-Christian anti-God, materialist. It really is a philosophy and it really is a religion. Anti-God. That gets born because he uses things from the Enlightenment. Charles Darwin, evolution. It was a philosophy and it was a, a thought ever before it was considered science. And it was birthed out of the Enlightenment. We have Nietzsche declaring God is dead. We have Modernism beginning, the Bolshevik Revolution, which is the rise of communism and the killing of anyone really that disagreed. And then we have World War I, World War II. We have countless uh, revolutions, countless bloodshed. And then we get to where we're at today. And we wonder why society has such a hard time believing that there's anything else but us. We have postmodernism, which says truth is relative. And you, there really is no place to grab a hold of. Truth is what you believe it is. And now we have people today who we should not be surprised that Satanism is on the rise. It wouldn't be surprised if the devil is behind getting us to disagree and to come against supernaturalism. He just likes to bring in his own. He's like, if he can wound our belief that we are spiritual and that there is a God and there is an order, all he has to do then is offer us what humans need, which is spirituality. There are so many things, spirituality, um, when it comes to witchcraft, it comes to Wicca, it comes to all these different things that have grown Satanism in any way, whether they actually are believing that they're worshiping Satan or they're just up, like upholding these, you know, do whatever you want. We have seen the growth of spiritualism because out of a reaction to this, and the church has forgotten that what it does and everything it does is spiritual. Now, what I hope in coming back to the truth and to reality, that Christians can then begin to offer people not just morals, not just good ideas, but true spirituality that we crave and we desire. So what is true spirituality? First and foremost, it's not just prophesying. It's not just healing the sick. It's not just raising the dead. It's not just casting out demons. Those things are good. And dare I say, those things are spiritual. 
But those are not the most spiritual parts of us. We should not consider ourselves totally uber-spiritual, super-spiritual, because we walk in the gifts. We should actually look at what the foundation of the spiritual gifts are. The foundation of the spiritual gifts are what we will see right here. So let's go to Galatians 5, 16 through 26. But I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh has desires that are opposed to the Spirit, and the Spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So you cannot do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, pause right there, spirituality, first and foremost, live spirituality is a relationship with a person. Spirituality that is alive is a relationship with a person, and his name is Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of God. That is true, alive spirituality. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. I am warning you, as I have warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another by being jealous of one another. True spirituality. The foundation for the gifts of the Spirit is the reality that as a byproduct of the Holy Spirit working inside of you, like we saw in Philippians, growing you into the Spirit of God, growing you to be like Christ, that you will produce these things called fruit. And what is the point of a fruit? Why, does they, why do they use the analogy of a tree and a fruit? What do you do when you pass a tree and it has really nice fruit? You pick it and you eat it. What is he saying here? The essence of spirituality is that you would be in a group of people and when they come near you, they can pick off some peace. They can pick off kindness. They can pick off joy. They can pick off patience, goodness, and faithfulness. There's no limit to such things. So there's actually a direct connection between your spirituality and being part of the body of Christ. There's a direct connection between being in the body of Christ, your spirituality, and out of this mindset, out of this heart posture, we prophesy. If you can understand the basis and the foundation for your spirituality, things like moving in the spirit, not really that big of a deal. They're amazing. We love them. But they're not nearly the most spiritual thing about you. Let's think about things like forgiveness. Goodness gracious, forgiveness. You could spend years, centuries, breaking up the concept of forgiveness. That there's a God that exists. Let's presuppose there's a God that exists. Right? Let's just get start the foundation. Let's believe there's a God that exists. Let's then see, okay, he has a way of doing things. We screwed up. He forgives us. What? That's far more complicated in my mind than prophesying over someone. 
far more complicated in my mind to break that apart and then to live in a lifestyle of repentance to which I can fail and then come back and he brings me back and he gives me this gift of forgiveness? Think about mercy. That God would have mercy on us? That makes no sense. I think it makes total sense to believe in a God that he would want to then use us to then do something, cast out demons. That that makes sense. But that he he would have mercy on us? Doesn't make any sense. Way more complicated. Your baptism, way more complicated. You read scripture, right? Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. You experience this thing by going in the water and then all of a sudden something happens supernaturally? Way harder to think about that and fathom that concept than it would be to maybe raise the dead. Some of the most blatant manifestations of the Spirit are way easier to grasp once you actually contemplate the wildness of being a Christian. The deep rooted, beautiful, supernatural dynamics that you would walk into a building and consider these people part of the body and consider that you're one of them. Nothing more complicated than thinking humans could be unified. Humans unified under one, under a God? Incredibly complicated, incredibly spiritual, mysteries. Casting out demons? In comparison, not, I don't think nearly doesn't nearly come to that. What am I getting at? If you can see and contemplate and begin to see your life as spiritual, in the things we take for granted, come back home and dig deeper into them, become familiar with them, grow in your knowledge of them, these other things we're talking about, they just come, man. They just, they're the direct conclusion. Direct conclusion. I love this. Philippians 3, 10 through 12. This is actually my heart when it comes to growing in the Lord. And I think it's so simple. This is Paul. My aim is to know him. You can stop there. My aim is to know him. Paul, who's done amazing things in the book of Acts. So many amazing things. My aim is to know him. My aim is not necessarily to exhibit the power of God in manifest ways, which I hope we do, and we see so much more. But what's my aim? It's to know him. We had this uh, youth rally a few weeks ago, and I was going to be vulnerable with you guys. As a youth pastor who throws on events, I have my measures of success. I'm like, this is success, and this wasn't a success. And we can think of all the measures of success you can have in doing an event not necessarily a Christian one, but they could be how much money something makes, how many people show up, how many people look like they're having a great time, right? You could think of all the different things. And while the event's going on, I just feel this impression of God where, and I kind of felt this over here when I was watching everyone worship, that the measure of success for the Christian life is not that a ton of kids came, which they did, thank God. Not that they looked like they were having the best time, which they looked like they did, thank God was that I saw kids worshiping God. Like, that was the measure of success. I walked out being like, I don't feel like, you know, this magnanimous feeling, but I feel this appreciation that the success was I saw kids worshiping God together. They were growing in knowledge of God. What if you walked into church 
and your measure of success was we gathered, Holy Spirit was there, we worshiped, God was praised. We knew God, and we knew one another. Like, how that would transform how we look at things. How that would transform things. Let your measure of success be in understanding that you are spiritual, that you know God, and you're growing in knowledge of him, and you're growing more familiar with him. To experience the power of his resurrection, hallelujah. To share in his sufferings, also hallelujah. To be like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Keep going forward. Not that I've already attained this. That is, I have not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold for me. The essence of supernatural spiritual life is to grab hold of what God has laid out for you. Galatians 1 through 5, 6, 1 through 5. Brothers and sisters, if a person is discovered in some sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Pay close attention to yourself so that you are not tempted to. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one examine his own work, then he can take pride in himself and not compare himself with someone else, for each one will carry his own load. Just hits the nail on the head again. You who are spiritual, how do you measure your spirituality? Thank you so much. Your fruit. Your fruit points towards carrying one another's burdens. Why would you need to be patient with someone? Someone is doing something that you wouldn't normally be patient, and you need patience. Why would you be kind to someone? Someone doesn't deserve kindness, and that fruit is piling up. Let's think about every time we enter this room that we could carry one another's burdens. And Paul connects that to restoring someone after sin has done a work in their life. Sin is death. Sin destroys. Sin breaks. Sin separates us from God. What does he say? Restore that person. You who are spiritual. Who's spiritual? Those who are giving off the fruits of the Spirit, who have partnered with the Holy Spirit to work through their lives and mature them and grow them. And here's the cool thing. What beats comparison? Let each one examine his own work, which means examine how the Holy Spirit has been working through your life. We're not perfect, but begin to notice. I was patient with that person. I've been doing that, like literally stopping, and sometimes it just takes you to stop and be like, okay, Lord, I need your grace. Help me to be patient. And then when I'm patient, I go to God and say, thank you, God. Simple. That's a practice. You're examining how the Holy Spirit's moving through you in conjunction with the people around you. Every time you have peace, every time you have kindness, every time you have joy, every time you exhibit love, self-control, hello, thank God. Self-control is a beautiful gift. I want more and more of it. These things, we need to stop and examine. And what are we examining? What are we taking pride in? Not that we manage to do it all ourselves, but we're taking pride in what the work of the Holy Spirit's doing through us. Let, and that defeats comparison because we're not looking at everyone else. We're looking at what the Holy Spirit's doing in us towards other people. Now, as I land this plane, I hope we see we're not ordinary. We're not just ordinary. We're this interesting mix. And I don't even like to say natural and supernatural because that divides it. We're just, we're humans. And humans are created physical and spiritual. I wish there was a word for it. 
created physical, spiritual. And our spirit comes alive with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Christianity is the least boring thing I could think of. It's so boring to not think there's anything more. You being your own universe, if you, if you don't believe in something transcendent, which means it's above you, you become as small as you are. Your God becomes as small as you. And G.K. Chesterton also says this, what a lame God you are. What a lame God, what a lame universe you are if everything is only as big as you are. I'd firmly rather believe in something far greater, far more exciting. I'm like that, that little child who looks at the world in a new way. And I don't get bored of seeing a daisy, another daisy, another daisy. I'm like, wow, look at God move again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And I don't get tired. I'm like, the little, like, like one of our nephews who says again, please, again, again and again. Like God's like, have that heart. Have that heart when it comes to things like baptism. We're going to have a baptism next month when people will come out of the water. Let our hearts just contemplate the idea of what's happening. When we take communion, let our hearts contemplate the idea of what's happening. When we forgive, when we walk in kindness, when we grow, when we wake up in the morning, when, there's, when we serve, when we give, we are meant to understand the extent of our supernatural and spiritual ways. And they exist. Life will look different. We need to practice the idea of contemplating our spirituality, which means renewing our mind. When you sit down and want to learn something, you contemplate the idea, and then you move towards it. Let's move towards the idea that you are spiritual, what you do is spiritual, what the scriptures say are spiritual, what God's calling you to do is spiritual. What you do when you go to work, you're walking in the spirit. When you're going to church, you're walking in the spirit. When you're going to school, you're walking in the spirit, and there's something happening. You will see it happen the more you pay attention to it. I mean, that's like, we're like, duh, but yeah. If you actually know something's happening and you pay attention to it, you'll see it. Let that be the heart. All right. I created this little, I'm just going to go through this quickly. I created this little prayer kind of to help us. It's connected with the, with the scriptures and when you pray and just look at it, I mean, you can go back on YouTube and kind of jot it down, or it was in the notes with our, our books. I'll just read through it. I think we can focus on these things and actually contemplate them, which means the action of meditation, which means breaking something apart, thinking about it, inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to us about it in our prayer life. I think we'll actually begin to see that we're supernatural. One, thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who is always at work in those who believe according to your word and who is the driving force in my salvation and in my sanctification. Two, Lord, I ask that you make me more aware of the spiritual reality in which I live perpetually. Help me to see where you have moved in my past and how you're moving in my present. Thank you for continuing to produce spiritual fruit in my life and help me to partner with you in the pursuit of these glorious ideals. I ask that you continue to grow these things within my Christian community. Three, help me to see your active gifts of mercy, grace, forgiveness, comfort, encouragement in my daily life and renew my childlike wonder at the spiritual nature of the Christian life in all its beauty and passion. Thank you for your traditions of the church that help us connect to you. Number four, thank you for gathering the saints together here to worship you, to be baptized into your kingdom, to commune with one another, and to be unified in Christ, experiencing the new life in your love, forgiven and matured, we are grateful for your work within both the individual and the corporate gathering. 
Number five, renew our minds to think, see, and act as those who are connected to not only the physical world, but the spiritual. Enable us to cast off the strongholds of anti-supernatural thought brought through Satan and the culture around us. We ask that you would continue to reveal yourself as transcendent God who is also active within your world. Number Number six, thank you for the greatest reward of the resurrection of our bodies at the second coming of the Lord and Savior. Help us to hold fast to the faith growing more and more in expectancy of the world in which you are to establish, not abandoning our humanity, but resurrecting it like Christ's. As you take time to pray in the morning or whenever you pray, think about these things. Break them down. Ask God to reveal them in you. And maybe the next time you come, you don't necessarily notice anything different. But anything that's worth doing is worth doing a lot. Anything worth getting, like, worth getting good at is worth practicing a lot. We actually need to practice these things. I think you can get good at things like worship, prayer, prayer, or praying over people, all these other things. You can get good at them, but you have to do them. Let's bring that back to the church.